thank you very much. So you keep watching those, um, well I do anyway, um, those programmes um, about, uh, we were talking about them earlier, the, the great dancer uh, or the voice or whatever. And I'm always a wee bit taken by the seeming excitement somebody has that they've got there to do their first rehearsal or whatever and they're being like, oh, it's going to change my life. And then they get through that first stage and they say, oh, it's going to change my life. And then last night, if you were watching it, then the window wasn't opening for some of them. They, it was a torturous thing, actually, last night in The Great Dancer. They brought them all back, all the ones that had got through whose lives had been changed. Because what happens is, let me put it in context, they all dance, and if they get enough buttons gone off in the auditorium, then the window, they're behind a mirror, the mirror opens and that's them through. That was them through to the callbacks. But in the callbacks, they're called back to be told whether they're in or out, basically. And so they stand behind that mirror again and it goes, ah, ah. And you're thinking, that didn't change your life much. And even those who win it. I wonder how much, in the end, it changes their lives. Jesus comes to change lives, literally. We've been thinking a lot this morning about this whole idea of following. This whole idea of uh, somehow, as the Bible would call it, and I'm going to concentrate a wee bit on it today, a, a sort of a repentance, a turning around a following of Jesus. So you're going on your journey and you meet Katie and Katie jumps up and down and does this and that and suddenly you're following something different. Jesus comes in to give us this opportunity. Last week we were seeing anew. This week I want us to think anew, to change our way of thinking. And let's not miss something here. Because what we have to do is see where Jesus is speaking this into. It's very easy for us not to come back into the context and to miss the context and, um, and read it as some nice story that we've heard read since we were reading it out of our children's Bibles when we were very small. But Jesus has shifted a lot in his life up until this point. And most of those shifts were in terror for his life whether that's gone off to Egypt or whether that's waiting to see whether that Herod had died so that he could go back to Nazareth. And even now, he's still trying to avoid, as he will for the next three years after this, he's avoiding the terror of empire. And Herod's not some sort of ogre character in some Disney movie. This is real life politics. And he's underneath a Roman oppressor that is actually just brutally bloody and violent. And that's what Jesus has grown up in. And this empire is going on at this empire's direction and template and default and familiarity and suddenly, boom, into it comes one of many rebels of the day. Because Jesus wasn't the only one wanting to rebel, rebel against this incredibly brutal and bullying Roman occupation. But Jesus comes into that scenario. There's dangers all around him. He's withdrawing from here and he's withdrawing from there. And he comes to these disciples. 
And he asks them to follow him in this change of the way they live their lives. That we're no longer going to live the way the world tells us to live. Or empire tells us to live. Or even the religion of the day tells us to live. That we're going to follow this Jesus. It's going to be like a light in the dark. And don't miss the Isaiah 9 quotations in the reading this morning. Because there was Judah under Assyrian oppression as well. And God's coming with some hopeful message that light would shine in the darkness of empire. As well as our sin. Do you remember a few weeks ago, we were talking about the vertical relationship with God, the horizontal that goes on with God, and the origin of the connection of those two places. Yes, the light shines into my life and into the sin of my life, but it shines into the darkness of the world around us in the horizontal too. It's personal, and it's social, and it's light in the dark, and it's transformative. And so I want to think, and I'm just a wee bit thrown, completely thrown, because um, it wasn't read in the reading, and I'm not even sure where uh, it comes in this. I might have mistook Mark for, uh, let me just go back here again. It's this idea of repentance. It's this idea that everything's going to be different. The Greek imperative, metanoiaite, is more accurately understood as something like be of a new mind. Or perhaps Bob Dylan's change your way of thinking. When Jesus comes and says, follow me. When Jesus comes and says, there's a new kingdom here. When Jesus says, repent for the good news is at hand. This is not what I was brought up to think in Balamina when I was 17. That that means you can't go to the bars on a Friday night with your mates. And you've got to stop the smoking uh, up that wee alley that you smoke with your mate on the way back from town. And you need to give that swearing up big time. That's your repentance. Those three things were actually very easy. But this new way of thinking. This turning everything around. That has been a lifetime. And I'm still struggling with it. Are we all? If we wanted to stop and say to ourselves, end of January 2020, sitting in Fitzroy, how are the minds in Fitzroy this morning so radically different from the minds of the neighborhood that we live in, the person who lives beside us, the person we work alongside? Or anybody else that's finding their God this morning and having a run, a cycle, a game of golf, or whatever else. Where is the light shining in dark? Do you know when you switch that light on in the dark and your eyes go like this? That's what Jesus kind of thought we might be like in the society that we live in. And this is a major following and turning around. I think it's Keller that says, Christ wins our salvation through losing. Achieves power through weakness. Comes to wealth via giving everything away. And those who receive his salvation are not the strong and accomplished, but those who admit that they're weak and lost. This is a strange way. This is a new way of thinking. Michael was praying. In all thy ways submit to him and he will direct thy paths. 
I like the original King James, the original King James. And all I always acknowledge him. Change of mind. Change of mind. And everything you do, change your mind. And he will direct your paths. And your mind needs to be changed into what I've been going on about for about six months, which is that our God is the God of the manger, the donkey, and the cross. The manger, the donkey, and the cross. And I've been thinking, just for the last six months, it's taken me 30 to 40 years to consider this, that when Jesus ascended, which is really, really important in Ephesians and really important in the birth, death, resurrection, and ascension, I don't think he kind of went through the clouds. And as he was going through the clouds, the Jesus of the manger, the donkey and the cross, that God said to him, oh, well, you can get all that humility off you now. Here, put this on and rule like a tyrant. It's not a three-year blip or a 33-year blip that we're seeing here. We are seeing a God who is so utterly different than the kind of empire and kings and lords that we know that our minds can't even quite fathom it. So it actually suits us to say that when he was going through the clouds, we switched it all again, and he's a tyrant again. How many of us were brought up with the idea that this God was a tyrant? But he's not. He's the God of the manger, the donkey, and the cross. Change my way of thinking. It's kind of hard. It's culture shock. It's like going in to another country and being shocked by the food that you're being given or the food that they're eating or the fact that you've got to, if you're on a Ugandan team, drink enough water to be not dehydrated but not enough water to have to go to the loo every 10 minutes on the bus and you're just going, what is this? I'm having to rethink everything of the way I live. When Jesus said, follow me, when Jesus said, repent, the good news is at hand, he was asking us to change all our ways of thinking. The Beatitudes, blessed are those who are meek, blessed are those who are poor. Come on! Oh, change your ways of thinking. It's counterintuitive. It's culture shock. The prodigal son, you can see the religious people saying, he's in for one dose when he comes up that lane. Party. Come on. The first will be last and the last will be first. Come on. I was on the radio this morning at a very unearthly hour with Bishop Alan, Alan Abernethy and he was talking about this. And the, the, Elaine in the studio said to him, what does grace mean to you? And he just said, unfair. Completely unfair. Who gets somebody onto their farm in the last hour and gives them the same money that they paid the other guys all day? It's just unfair. Every story's unfair. Every story's just stupid. It's insane. It's madness. And I want to ask you this morning, as I ask myself, do we want to be insane? Fishes are lovely. Lovely wee fish. Put it on here. What are we just putting on? Insane. We're going to be meek. We want to be poor. We want to be manger, donkey, and cross. Yay, that's how we see it. The world will think we're bonkers. Change your way of thinking. Have a completely new mind. Singer T-Bone Burnett puts it, it's a funny thing about humility. As soon as you know you're being humble, you're no longer humble. It's a funny thing about life. You've got to give up your life to be alive. 
Jesus' words almost verbatim. You've got to suffer to know compassion. You can't want nothing if you want satisfaction. It's a funny thing about love. The harder you try to be loved, the less lovable you are. It's a funny thing about pride. When you're being proud, you should be ashamed. Burnett's getting it. Got to give up your life to be alive. Come on! (coughs) It's a new way of thinking. And I'm asking myself, embarrassingly, where is it, Stockman, in my life? Where is it? Am I really, really, really following a God of a manger and a donkey and a cross? Where is it in those things that I live in? And I talk endlessly about imagination being so crucial for faith. Because this is Jesus asking us to reimagine every which way the world is. Every which way. And I come up with this idea over the last few days that it might be the sanctification of imagination. It's not my idea, but that might be how we describe it. That the imaginations that we have are fired in a completely new way that are set apart. I looked up because you felt the need to. What's sanctification? You know, it's a long time since I was at theological college. And I just looked it up on a definition. And it said this. To set apart, to, to set apart for a sacred purpose or religious use. Consecrate. To free from sin or purify. To impart or impute sacredness. Respect. To give moral or social sanction to. Sanctification of our imaginations. In all thy ways, acknowledge his ways. In all thy ways, acknowledge his ways. In this great turning around of our thinking. Walter Brigham's done a lot of thinking and imagination. He says, Jesus' way of teaching through parables was such a pastoral act of prophetic imagination in which he invited his community of listeners out beyond the visible realities of Roman law and the ways in which Jewish law had grown restrictive in his time. The work of poetic imagination holds the potential for unleashing a community of power and action that will finally not be contained by imperial restrictions and definitions of reality, whatever reality TV show we watch or whatever the realities of the world that's oppressing us are. Let me finish by sharing the words, well, almost, sharing the words of David Gray before he became rubbish. Don't mean the chaplain at Queen's, he's still great. But we had a songwriter called David Gray who was probably, I think, the most gifted songwriter of his generation. And then he recorded White Ladder and it all became about pop music and the lyrics just went to pot and I don't even bother listening to him anymore. But his early lyrics were so socially potent. In fact, when I first heard this song, Birds Without Wings, I was sure he was a Welsh Presbyterian because he's Welsh and because I thought that's most of the churches I'm in. And it wasn't Fitzroy at the time, so don't. He goes in the middle of this song, Birds Without Wings. There's your homework. Go and listen to Birds Without Wings. And in fact, if that doesn't pummel your soul enough, listen to the whole album. And if that doesn't pummel your soul enough, the first three are great and leave it there. But he says this. These are just thoughts of lackluster times. 
And I've no interest in excuses you can find, like you've had a hard day and you're too tired to care. Now you're too tired to care. You've had a hard day. Well, across the fractured landscape, I see the same things. Tired ideas, broken values, many with the notion that to share is to lose. A hollow people, bound by a lack of imagination and too much looking back, without the courage to give a new thing a chance, grounded by this ignorance. When the cat comes, we're just birds without wings. Now you can ask yourself if that's PCI in a nutshell, a hollow people bound by a lack of imagination and too much looking back, if you like. But it's for me. I'm bound by a lack of imagination as to what this new acknowledgement is and this new way of thinking is. I'm bound by a lack of it. And we live in lackluster times because we're just going with the thinking of the generation, with the thinking of empire, with the thinking of wealth, with the thinking of security, with the thinking of all those things. You're going to get Trump again because I've told you, we are not what we believe, we are what we love. So the man on the TV says, I don't agree with one thing he says, but I know I'm better off as a result, so I'll be voting for him. Help us, but we're bound by a lack of imagination and too much looking back. Our minds are not focused on a manger, a donkey, and a cross. A God who washes people's feet. A God who is not served, but came to give up his life and didn't change when he went through the clouds into some other tyrant. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Alan Abernathy this morning was extraordinary. As a 15-year-old boy in the Woodstock Road, he watched a riot coming up a street. And as he watched that riot coming up a street as a 15-year-old boy, not getting to the police station because there was enough police there, so they turned to the Catholic church and the, the Catholic house where the priest, he said, would have been murdered had the police not intervened. And this 15-year-old boy said, I was wrestling with what it was to be a Christian with a riot happening on my street and I realized I've got to change the way I'm thinking about my Catholic neighbor and I'm going to commit my life to doing something about that. Next Sunday night, not ne yes, next Sunday night in St. Anthony's, the church that he watched being attacked in the riot from his house across the road is where he will be speaking about that moment and then a lifetime of a mind that was changed, that he acknowledged God in that moment and that God directed his path. Follow me. It's the life changing that the guy and the voice or the girl wants. But it's life changing. It's thought changing. It's a sanctified imagination that will look crazy in our world. And as I finish, I put a mirror up, not that it's going to open. And I look in that mirror and I say, Stockman. Does the world really think that you're crazy? Actually, it may be all the wrong ways. Is there a sanctified imagination at work? Have you ever thought of repentance or following Jesus? And that's only me looking in my mirror. Let's pray.
Our God, it could change our lives. It should change our lives. We ask that your spirit would come and that you would do an audit with us. Oh, not in these moments because there's not time for that. But perhaps in the quiet of the rest of the day or offering ourselves to make time during the week that we would do an audit and ask ourselves where we live an alternative life to the one around us or just the same. Holy Spirit, if we're serious about this life change and this following and this repentance, we pray that you would sanctify our imaginations to be those who follow the Jesus of the manger and the donkey and the cross. That we would wash our disciples' feet. That we would give up our lives to be alive. May it be so in mine, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.